a uh, NATO-led, basically a slaughter of a bunch of people, and he held Kennedy responsible for that. Welcome back to the Grand America Show. How's it going, guys? Uh, we are going to be chatting with Adam Go Rightly, a uh, fellow Canadian, I believe. And uh, I don't think so. No? Oh, no, no, California? Yeah, S- same thing. Who the fuck was I thinking of? Anyway, yeah, he frequents uh, the Higher Side Chats quite a bit. Uh, we're a big fan of that show. It's where we got our money bomb idea from. But, of course, as always, the... Uh, Grumpy Graham Dunlop. How's it going tonight, buddy? Yeah, you got it. No, I, to be honest, it's uh, I'm trying to let go of some potential uh, emotional breakdown here over technological fucking challenges. Over being technologically inept? Oh, it's not nothing to do with me, buddy. I didn't make any fucking mistakes in this, but computers in the shop, emails lost, got it back, uh, Office wasn't installed. I had to reinstall Windows. Like I've got a pretty decent laptop. What a nightmare! Pretty much got a computer back useless. So I had to take it back to the shop, and then my email is not on my phone, but it's on my computer, and I don't have my computer. And my Gramerica email is on the computer that crashed, and I've got a few on the phone. So that just gives you an idea of I don't know. There's got to be a name for when like technological shit falls apart, and you feel like you're losing your shit. Techno meltdown. Yeah, jeez. Anyways, it's uh, practice and patience for sure. Technonitis. Technophobia. So if people, uh, listeners and stuff, have been getting in touch with me, I've probably forgot or not been able to uh, respond to some emails and stuff like that. So uh, hopefully I'll get everything back on track soon. So just so people know, it's been a huge challenge. My shit's working great. Yeah, actually, you've almost talked me into getting an Apple, a Mac. Oh. Is it an Apple or a Mac? Either is acceptable. Really? Yeah. Usually Mac. Go with Mac. Last time I had a Mac, here's a trivia question for you. <laughs> what was the last, what was the year I had an Apple last? 1996. 1986. 86? We had Apples in school. I wasn't even in school yet. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't my Apple, but I used an Apple in 80, 84. No, it's probably 84 even. 84. I was yeah, definitely maybe. not at school. I wasn't even in fucking daycare. Can you yet. believe we had computers in school back then? I was three. Yeah. Hmm. Anyways, enough of that. I didn't know computers even existed, I don't think, till like grade six, maybe. Mom brought home our first computer as a piece of shit. It's Commodore 64? No, oh, that was, that. Way, it was already oh, Windows. That it was, was like Windows, uh, Windows ninety three, maybe. Was yeah, that a thing? I think so. In ninety five, yeah, Windows ninety five was, was the big one. I think it was shit. You yeah. couldn't do much. But then before that, I remember like playing Doom against Scoob when I was like, I had to go through DOS and fucking make my computer phone his computer, and then we'd get connected over the telephone line and we could play fucking Doom and Duke Nukem against each other. And really? Shit. Yeah. Wow. That was the whole How did you right? play against each other? Like you were actually sharing the same screen kind of thing? No, it's a first-person shooter, so you're just in the same map. Kind of like Call of Duty nowadays, except it was with Doom, shitty graphics. So where's he, on, where's he in there? He's in at the his game? house. And you know, where's he in the game, though? Can you see him? Yeah, when you see him, you try and shoot him. Oh, you're playing against or him. Or you like... can be together right. or oh, against okay. each other or oh, whatever you cool. want. Yeah. Yeah. 
That was good times. I don't know. You'd have to like fucking put in his phone number and then like me, me, yeah, me, and then it'd take like fucking 10 tries before that would work. Finally get connected and then you play for five minutes, we get all choppy. Wow. Modem was a huge fucking thing. And I remember that. Yeah. Good, good old days. Now we have an Oculus Rift. Yeah. That we got to do some serious experimenting with. Yeah. Well, Scoob says he's got her all good to go. So lots of demos to try. Well, I'm looking forward to that, except to kind of, I got to be careful that I limit my time in the Rift. Since I'm not a gamer, I haven't played since, I don't know, the early 90s. It's like, uh, I'm just not used to that yeah, motion stuff. Put me on a real roller coaster, I'm fine, but put me an Oculus on a roller coaster and I want to yak. Perfect. <laughs> you can't handle virtual reality. It's too much for true. <laughs> it's more than fucking reality. regular reality. So, what's going on, man? Not too much. I figure since you're uh, so out of fucking sorts over there, maybe I'll give you a heads up before we go. What You you let me when you know when you want to do the UFO. I'm ready, buddy. Okay. X-A-R-C-D-R-A-R. D-R-A-R. Profound UFO quote of the week. D-R-A-R. D-R-A-R. I'm 89. D-R-A-R. Yeah, look ready. Uh, this is Graham's uh, profound UFO quote of the week. Uh, you will have to uh, be patient with me. I'm scrolling through the iPhone. This whole show is going to be done via iPhone. So I must say that if listeners could see for themselves the mass of reports coming in from the airport gendarmerie, from the mobile gendarmerie, and from the gendarmerie charged with the job of conducting investigations, all of which reports are forwarded to us, by us to the National Center for Space Studies, then they would see that it is all pretty disturbing. I believe that the attitude of spirit that we... What? I believe that the attitude of spirit that we must adopt vis-a-vis this phenomena is an open one. That is to say that it doesn't consist in denying a priori, a priori, a priori, as our ancestors of previous centuries did deny many things that now seem that seem nowadays perfectly elementary. Huh, that was a handful. And I, I, we might have actually said that one before. No, I don't I don't think so. I would have remembered that approriere. I can't say it for some reason. Anyways, that was M. Robert Galley, the French Minister of Defense, from an interview by Jean-Claude Bouret on February 21st, 1974. 1974. Not bad for the iPhone. Not bad, eh? No, but we want to thank people for their uh, their feedback and their quotes. We've got lots of feedback from our last episode that came out. Some people liked Margaret DeWeiss, and some people thought that episode was out there, which was kind of weird for us because it, it didn't feel like it was more out there than some of the other ones we've done. Yeah, that definitely didn't seem like one of the crazier ones, but... Whatever. This is what it is. When a, when a person goes on their healing journey and they heal something significant in themselves like that and they see lots of crazy stuff, I mean, how can it not get out there? How can it not get weird, right? We're so stuck in this paradigm here that none of that stuff is possible. When you hear somebody's story, it's probably easy to, to doubt it. But I believe that this shit happens to people. Yeah. You believe yeah. fucking... No, don't say everybody, it. I no, think, no, no, I don't. No, no, I've got a balanced belief system. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> At least I think I do. At least you think you do. So, 
Uh, we want to thank people for uh, for subscribing. Yeah, and I giving think us we, feedback. We might have got another subscriber last week. We 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 actually are starting to uh, to get a few more and more subscribers. So it's nice to uh, see that the value for value model can work. You know, you don't have to sell your content. Um, yeah, man, we don't want any ads in here, and we, we give away all our content for free here. We do this for the fun of it and to talk to interesting people, but it is an expense. It definitely, it's a growing expense. Not a big one, but we'd like to try and cover that, so we'd like to ask for people's help for donating. We also do this thing called the 50-50 Money Bomb. It's like a 50-50 draw every month or at least for a minimum of $100 uh, to gift back to somebody, and that's going to be coming up at the end of this month, and then we'll start it again. So uh, we'll be giving away at least $100 back to one uh, lucky, like-minded listener. And we've already done that twice, I think, or three times. Uh, and it's been good. Yeah, hopefully we can grow that number into the, you know, more and more as we, as we grow. We've, uh, we've been getting some new listeners. So, um, you know, that, that small percentage of people who will, who will subscribe will grow with the listeners and eventually... Um, hopefully we can start uh, dishing out some real cash. You know, it'd be nice to give you away three, four hundred dollars when we did it. Exactly. Someone can, you know, and then pay, we could cover our pay expenses. their fucking heat bill yeah. or their electric bill. Or, yeah, and then we could cover our expenses and actually pay for like computers that crash and shit like that, or episodes that get, get deleted. <laughs> so uh, we also want to mention uh, Intrepid Paradigm. Uh, we're going to be. I think they're kind of renaming the Paradigm Symposium to Intrepid Paradigm and kind of encompassing it into uh, a larger kind of platform. But uh, we're going to come up with our episode where we talked to uh, a few people at the symposium last year, some some uh, attendees and some vendor people. And we're going to put a little intro together and, and do a full-on Paradigm wrap-up episode. We'll do that next week. Um, but it's still going forward next year and it's going to be even better. So I want people to put that in their calendars now. It'll be October in probably still in Minneapolis. Oh yeah. I don't see it ever leaving Minneapolis. Should though. I think it would probably get more of a crowd from a bigger population base like New York or LA or something like that. Denver but baby. Denver. Fuck. We could maybe we, oh no, Denver would be a long drive still. Yeah. We could take the not. underground tunnel from our new airport to the Denver airport. Is there an underground tunnel? Don't you think there's going to be an underground tunnel? Why? No. Because we're having a $2 billion renovation at the airport, and don't you know there's probably an underground tunnel connecting Denver and the States to us? Why Denver? Because that's where the big the big tunnel was made, right? The big conspiracy at the Denver airport? I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You do, no know, you, th you do know. We talked about this when I went to Denver last year. about that the there whole was a tunnel, did we? It's a the big underground base. And you think Calgary's tunneling to it? Yeah. They're probably just connecting to a tunnel that was already made to connect with Canada. And you think that's what the new airport project is covered is, for? Yeah. You know, I work there every, <laughs> every day. <laughs> so I expect you to do some yeah. spelunking. Okay, I'll see if I can find the secret tunnel. I'm on it. <laughs> Your pass will be revoked tomorrow now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, this won't release till Friday, so. On Anyways, Monday. I'm, I'm, I'm not allowed on site on Monday. <laughs> He's under the fucking tunnel. <laughs> Where's Darren? He's gone missing. <laughs> He's gone missing the day after this episode comes out. It's probably the same MIB that's been fucking with my computer. <laughs> I will sell you right out. They get me. 
Graham Dunlop. <sighs> so we get into. Uh... So I got a synchronicity to share with you. Spam, spam, spam. So this is a this is a, a great synchronicity story from Paul, the UPS guy. He's uh, he's been a, a regular contributor to this uh, this show here. He's got a quick synchronistic story, all true, no exaggerations. My wife and I, and we'll get Darren to rate this. My wife and I like to take our cameras and go photo hunting. There's an old abandoned mill in our town, Lowell, Mass. That's Lowell, Massachusetts, I'm sure. It's all boarded up and fenced off with almost no access. This building has been this way since I was a kid, as long as I can remember. One day I was delivering on my route for UPS. I noticed a hole in the fence that would probably give us access. So one early Sunday morning, we made our way inside. Now this building is falling down around us, really cool, kind of scary and spooky. So we are exploring in this old place and we come upon an old room that was used for shipping and receiving. I work for UPS and have for the last 28 years. I see all this old UPS shipping supplies. Some, some that I can remember from when I first started at UPS, really cool shit. So anyhow, there was an old metal desk that I see off in the corner of this room. I go over to check it out and the drawers were all opened and ransacked through. But in one of the drawers, there was an old UPS pickup record book. Now back in the day before everything was digital like today, we used to have to sign the page, date it, put the time and put the total number of packages picked up. So I looked at this book, which is already opened, and the page on the book is signed and dated with the time. Now, the really weird thing is, is the date on the page that the book was opened to was October 9th, 1974. The really weird part is, that is the exact day my wife was born. Exact date she was born. Now, come on, guys. That's got to be a 10, right? The same day she was born? What the fuck? Still gives me goosebumps telling the story. Anyhow, I really enjoy the show. Very much. He's a monthly subscriber to the Money Bomb. Right on. That's what we were just talking about. He listens to the show during his delivery route. You gave me a nice shout out when I signed up for your newsletter. Thanks. Thanks for that. Warm regards, Paul, the UPS guy. Thanks, Paul. That's a cool story. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Hmm. Before you rate it, do you want me to tell you one that I had similar to it? No. Come on. Um. <laughs> then you can compare. Then, then you'll automatically think mine is lower and give him a higher rating. I think I'm going to give him a nine. Really? Yeah. Wow. If everything lines up the way he says it does, it's pretty... Uh, was his wife with him? See, I thought he was going to say... His wife was with him at the time, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They go photo hunting. So hopefully they got a picture of it. I wonder what the time was. Did it show the time? Oh, they I... should check the time and see if the time is the same as the time she was born. Because that would make it a 10. No, a 10. Really? If the time in the book is the same time as she was born. The really weird part is that is the day my wife was born. Exact date she was born. So yeah, he doesn't say about the time. That would be, yeah, that would be crazy. See, I thought it was him writing that entry in the book 28 years ago. That's what I thought he was going to say. It is, and he's a lot older than his wife. <laughs> <laughs> at least 20 out years boy, or, or out, 17 years or whatever. Boy, father, at least fucking <laughs> at least fucking 28. Can I tell you my quick story quickly? No, that's 30 years ago. No, that's 40 years ago. No, it's 38. 
How the fuck do you count? 74? Yeah. Well, I'm, I was Tell born your in 70. Deductions on oh, us. right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. 40. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay, can I tell you my quick one about that? Yes. Working for that's a, the highest uh, rating ever, too. So. Is it? No, 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 no. You did. Uh, you rated uh, Dean Radin's uh, higher than that. No, I didn't. I rated yeah. it no, shitty, I think, and you were no, all pissed off. No, no, no. And then yeah. you re-rated it. I think when I when I talked some sense into you because you thought it was all this big conspiracy and all that. I still think it is bullshit. Oh, it's not bullshit. So anyways, I was working for a helicopter repair facility, right? We'd fix uh, helicopter engines and parts and stuff, okay? And my family lived in Montreal, like my grandma, my mom and dad. I lived there for a little while. And uh, are you listening? Yes, I'm listening. And they used to work for Pratt & Whitney, right? Who made aircraft engines and all that. So I was working on uh, in the repair shop. And I found this part from Pratt & Whitney, and it had an old tag on it, right? From 19... I think it was 74. I I seem to remember 74. We were just talking about 74. (laughs) We were just talking about 74. I know that. I know that. And it was written by my grandma. And I found that tag, like, in 90... Like, the mid-90s. No, the late 90s. You found it where? The late 90s. In in Richmond, B.C., uh, like a part, like it's the same part been used for decades, right? In Pratt and Winnie for engines repairs and stuff, right? It's an old engine, right? PT six and those big helicopters from like yeah. the World War Two, yeah. So, so I found that this part with a tag that was written by my grandma. Why? Because she used to work there in Montreal in the seventies. So it kind of reminded me of his story. Yeah. Except I can't remember if it was signed or if I just recognized her handwriting, but I'm pretty sure it was her. <laughs> You're pretty sure. <laughs> I almost gave that a serious rating of like six and a half. Now <laughs> oh, it's a zero. Oh. Come on. <laughs> There's no way it was her. You just fucking no, no, made it was. That up. No, no, I didn't. Yeah, there was no. I, I even I told my mom. I cannot see name? if my mom reminds it. Did it say her name? I think it did. Yeah. You think it yeah, did? I'm pretty sure. You should not have told this story. You're not prepared. To defend it, I'm pretty sure it said Lillian Townsend. No, I'm pretty sure because I told my mom about it at the time. Why don't you get your shit together and we'll revisit this next week? Okay, I'll I'll ask mom about it because right now it's sounding pretty sketchy. All right, so where are we at? Uh, You got any more spam? Uh, no, that's it for now. I'm, I'm limited to my access to my emails here. Yeah, we want. I did want to mention uh, we've been getting some feedback from our YouTube listeners. Who knows when the fuck this will finally make it to YouTube? But um, <laughs> if you are hearing this on YouTube in the future, and have noticed that sometimes I fall behind ten or fifteen episodes behind <laughs> on the YouTube feed. Um, you can always head over to grimerica.ca or iTunes and get the show there, and you'll get it on the regular weekly basis, like. Like everybody else, YouTube kind of gets spurts. Like in one weekend, I'll put up 10, and then I won't do it for 10, and then I'll put up 10. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess there's another side of that where if anybody's interested in volunteering, <laughs> they could, couldn't they just, couldn't anybody upload a Grammaric episode, or how does yeah, that work? Yeah, anybody could. Yeah, if, if somebody took that on, fuck it. So, if they, if they want to do that, would you give them a password, like access to our Grammarica channel or something like that? Or do we have a YouTube channel? I don't really watch them on YouTube or follow that stuff. So, yeah, I don't know how I, we could, it wouldn't, be that, it wouldn't be that hard. Okay. You could volunteer to do it. Once you get, <laughs> once you get your Mac, it's fucking nothing. 
I've I have done. asked you before to show me how you do that, and you just never do. You just end up doing it yourself. So don't Once say you get that a real I haven't computer, volunteered. Then you can take on real responsibility. Well, like I said, I'm seriously considering a Mac after most of the people in my life that I love have telling me to, to switch over. Well, yeah. oh, that would be a tough for, one. Except for Red Pill Junkie. Yeah, Red Pill Junkie is dead set against that. <laughs> I wonder if we should get actually some feedback on our listeners. Should Matt, should uh, Graham go fucking Mac or PC? Stick with PC or switch to Mac? I think most people know where I fall. Uh, the other thing I was going to say was uh, about, oh, fuck, I totally forgot now. It's about, it's about the feedback, the YouTube stuff. YouTube. Hmm, I can't remember now. Damn, it was a good one, too. Oh, well. Oh, well. That'll uh, that'll teach you something interesting. Is that what's is that seriously written on the board? That's good. I'm glad you finally read the board. Yeah. At the end of the I intro, I just noticed the other corner of my eyes. <laughs> I think uh, so. Adam go rightly. He's into a little bit of everything. Oh, I remembered it. <clears throat> Sorry. Thanks Can so. you? Uh, I, I noticed a couple times you put a timestamp on when the interview starts. Like if people don't want to hear this intro, because we did have feedback from somebody that was like, "You guys are your intros too long." Well, you can always fast forward it to the interview. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in most yeah. platforms, you can, right? Oh yeah, in every platform, I would say I used to do that. Now I just say fuck it. Yeah, they can figure it out. Hit fast forward. If you yeah, then like you have your... to keep stopping and guessing where it's at. Okay, so whatever, I'll leave it up to you. Okay. All right. So yeah, Adam. Adam Go Rightly. Adam Go Rightly. I always thought that was a stage name the first time I, I heard it. I think I heard him on Richard Serrett way back when. Yeah, and then he's on the higher side chats quite a bit, like yeah. we said. He's a pretty interesting yeah. cat. It's a fun chat. Yeah, I think you guys great. will enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's much more to get in here, too. Uh, we can pick up all the rest of the housekeeping in the outro. Yeah. I suppose so. We'll take a quick break here, enjoy the tunes, and we will jump in with Adam Go Rightly. Tonight in Grimerica, we're going to be chatting with Mr. Adam Go Rightly. Uh, a lot of you guys uh, probably heard him on the Higher Side chat. Uh, and producer Joe is back in the studio, so we're pretty excited about that. But first, uh, the one and only, Ray Am Dunlop. <laughs> How's it going tonight, buddy? Hey, I'm doing okay, man. Doing okay. Other than the fucking snow? Yeah, other than the, than the early winter. It smelled like Christmas today. That was kind of lame. At so, least it melted. Yeah, right away. So we've got Adam Gorightly here. He's been chronicling the fringe culture for a couple decades. He's been all over the zine little uh, phenomena over the last little while, articles appearing everywhere, and he's, he's got some great books, uh, including The Shadow Over Santa Susanna, 
prankster in the conspiracy and his latest Historia Discordia. I don't think I said that right. Historia Discordia. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. And uh, so we want to talk about that and many other things because he's written about UFOs and mind control and ritual magic and all kinds of stuff. So, <laughs> so we're happy to have you on the show. Welcome to Grammaric, Adam. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you got the title right. It's uh, the latest. Well, one of the latest. There's a couple books that just came out, but uh, there's uh, Historia Discordia, the origins of the Discordian Society that came out in May. Then I have a um, another book that's kind of also semi-related to uh, Discordianism, which in this just came out from Feral House. It's uh, Caught in the Crossfire, Kerry Thornley, Lee Oswald, and the uh, Garrison Investigation. These two books uh, really came out of the uh, Discordian archives that were passed on to me a few years ago. And there's a uh, website up if people are interested, want to find out more. It's uh, titled appropriately enough, HistoriaDiscordia.com. Okay, cool. So that one must have just come out then, eh? The second one there? Yeah, uh, just became available from Feral House about a week ago, and oh, yeah. okay. then will become available through uh, Amazon like in about a month or so. And so, how many, so these, how many these go, sorry, go ahead. Uh, these it was just kind of coincidence they came out so close to each other. I've been working on both of these books with different publishers for several years, you know, like three or more years in different states of development. But uh, there they are, and they have kind of come out in a good time. A lot of people have uh, are becoming re-interested or interested for the first time in uh, Discordianism. So these books deal with that. And there's some other people that are working on Discordian projects out uh, right now. So it seems like there was a bit of... Uh, synchronicity with all the timing of the release of these books and other projects folks are working on at the moment. Yeah, we like that word here. Yeah. America. <laughs> so how many books have you, have you have you written, Adam? If you look on Amazon, you'll see uh, eight. I think there's more, but uh, not available through Amazon. But yeah, officially there's eight of them. And uh, you mentioned one, Shadow Over Santa Susanna, Black Magic, Mind Control, and the Manson Family Mythos. That, uh, that was the first one I wrote way back in 2001, and it was, uh, there, there was a new version, new edition that came out in 2009. Then there's a book I did on James Shelby Downard's Mystical War. There's a uh, couple of... Uh, collections of different articles I've written over the years. One is Happy Trails to High Weirdness, and the other is The Beast of Adam Go Rightly. <laughs> and I'm doing this off the top of my head. What am I forgetting? There's The Prankster and the Conspiracy. That was the first uh, book I wrote on uh, Carrie Thornley and kind of touched on uh, Discordianism. I think I've named about them all. I start forgetting here after a while on these two latest books. So yeah, we, I was reading through one of your blogs, though, and, and it's almost a book in, in itself, so... <laughs> Which, what's that? The ritual magic, uh, mind control and oh, yeah. phenomenon. Well, <laughs> and it shows up in a couple of my books. So, you oh, know, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Repurpose stuff. That, uh, yeah, that's another one of those uh, articles that kind of evolved over the years. I think I wrote an early version of that uh, 
many years ago, and it had to do with my own, part of it has to do with my own psychedelic UFO encounter I've had, had back in the day, which I've repeated <laughs> many times, but uh, uh, had to deal with a, a friend and I uh, dropped some acid back in the uh, day and had the uh, experience where we saw UFOs, and we both basically saw the same things, whatever, oh. what, whatever they were. <laughs> And uh, uh, in the years to follow, I tried to figure out what the hell that experience was all about. And uh, I think the theory that makes most sense is that uh, in a lot of uh, UFO encounters, you know, there's an experience going on there where we are more than just uh, uh, the experiencers. We're also... (laughs) involved in the uh, phenomena and in some cases we it's a uh, we we help create that phenomenon putting this kind of in a nutshell and part of that has to do with ritual magic in a sense and uh, i think that initial encounter i had way back when with my buddy on lsd was kind of an uh, unwitting ritual magic and in that article i kind of traced uh different UFO experiencers over the years and how there seems to be that uh, common theme where, especially going back to the uh, early days, there seemed to always be trance states involved or Hmm. people in uh, kind of semi-sleep states before they actually witnessed UFOs. So I think the whole experience is kind of integrated with ritual magic, however you want to term it, or trance states and these type of things. And sometimes... Um, <clears throat> psychedelics have been involved with these experiences with a, lot, a whole range of people, you know, and a lot of folks uh, in the more mainstream UFO community really don't want to uh, get into those experiences because, you know, they feel it <laughs> takes away from what they're doing, you know. That Which it, is the uh, nuts and bolts thing or whatever. Yeah, right, exactly. We tried to actually summon a UFO on our mushroom episode when we did an episode on mushrooms. But then mm-hmm. we didn't leave the basement. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, can you can you get well, into that encounter a little bit more? Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of uh, folks, and uh, you know Bill Hicks and his mushroom uh, UFO experience. Yeah, we're big Bill Hicks fans. Okay. Well, you know all about that. Yeah. No, I'll tell- list, can you go? Can you run through it quick? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> you probably know it better than I do. He was just out on a ranch with Kevin Booth, his buddy, and uh, they dropped shrooms, and uh, they were out there by themselves. Maybe there was a third person. They all experienced this experience, whatever it is. They felt like they uh, uh, established communication with some something uh, extraterrestrial. Perhaps they thought it was, you know, uh, extraterrestrials, and... Uh, boarded their spaceship in a sense or whatever. They felt like they became one with the universe, all that kind of uh, groovy stuff. And, you know, later uh, Bill Hicks talked about it in his stand-up comedy routines and a lot of people just thought he was bullshitting, <laughs> you know, but he was, he was serious. Huh. Yeah, we had uh, Kevin on the show a few, well, must have oh. almost a year ago now. Mm-hmm. Did he get into that? I don't think we did. I, or I would have remembered no, it. No, I don't, I don't think, think so. we did either. That's why I was surprised when. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so I what... think it, I think it was Kevin Booth. As far as my experience, um, 
Yeah, he did mention Bill. I mean, they talked about he, being. We he, talked about sure. Bill for sure. Yeah. So what about your encounter? Can you get into the details of what you saw and all? Because I think, oh, I, I, yeah, I, I think I'd I heard you talk to. about it a couple of years ago on another show probably, but uh, I haven't heard it in a while. I've talked about it quite a few times, and maybe <laughs> some people get tired of uh, hearing me talk about it, but I'm happy to go into it. Uh, it was in the uh, late 70s, so my so a buddy and I were um, at a party, and they had some acid there, and uh, so and we... Both of us were experienced uh, psychonauts, <laughs> explorers. You know, we'd tripped before, but nothing, nothing ever like this or since. So, uh, you know, that's some of the background that when we, I say I saw, we saw something <laughs> that was definitely strange that uh, we tripped before, and you know, aware of just the uh, typical uh, hallucinations or. Uh, imagery you'll see from psychedelic trips but uh so anyway we're at this uh party and there's some acid going around and uh the guy who uh sold it to us gave it to us whatever said and you need to be careful with this stuff it's been double dipped you know so whatever <laughs> so we took it and uh it was kind of a wild party was this you know how you're on tripping like that sometimes it's ah, too it's too intense so myself and my friend decided, let's get out of here. And this was in a um, suburb, uh, central California, pretty populated town, Fresno, California. A mm -hmm. couple hundred thousand people, probably more than that now. Um, and it was night, and it was in the summer, so we just had to get away. So we went walking. We figured a place we. Uh, give us a little space was a ditch make we could walk along so we headed towards that and this was uh back in the day when uh this was you know late 70s uh, 70 uh, 78 and so we were in all all the came up through you know reading don juan and tolkien and we're into uh uh, close encounters of the third kind and having that experience going to another planet being taken away by ET. So we, mm -hmm. you know, yearn for that. So that was there. And so we're tripping along, walking. We're almost to the ditch bank and uh, we start joking to each other. What if we saw a UFO right now? <laughs> and nobody believes. And we start uh, laughing <laughs> about that somewhat uncontrollably. And then, uh, wasn't 10 uh, minutes later we saw our first UFO. First. And, and so uh, the impact of it made me fall to one knee. <laughs> My buddy helped me up and we, we were explained, you see in what I'm seeing? We explained it to each other. Now we could be, we have a still good friends with this guy and we have a simpatico and it's possible we were telepathically beaming these. <laughs> images to our who knows you know there's right. a lot of explanations for all this kind of stuff but so we saw our first one the first saw several that, that night the first one was more your typical saucer shaped type ufos we saw cigar shaped ufos and as the adventure progressed we saw they, they started getting progressively weirder. I remember one in particular was this multicolored cartoonish thing with a propeller. <laughs> and um, so it was like it had that trickster element. It was like they were playing, 
it whatever was playing with us in a sense. So we saw several that uh, night. I forget how many uh, now. And I actually, uh, people think I'm making this up or whatever. I did. I had a podcast. Uh, I used to do Untamed Dimensions, and there's still some archives of that on the web where I bought my buddy on Joe, and we had talked about that experience. And so, anyway, that, that happened, and uh was really uh, one of those experiences that uh, formed my uh, weird little brain and, you know, got me more interested in these topics, got me uh, questioning consensus reality, looking at an answer for it, you know, right after I thought, yeah, man, we're that we saw extraterrestrials. That's the only framework I had to explain it. My buddy was going, I'm not too sure, man. Then after a while, I started questioning it. Then he did did about facing thought, yeah, well, maybe we did see extraterrestrials and went through that. Then I started to get more deeply into researching UFOs. I remember I picked up a book called UFOs, What on Earth is... uh, happening and it it had the biblical explanation that ufos are demons and that kind of freaked me out for a while then i got a little heavier and jacques valet and uh john kill and uh finally when i read john kill he had this theory about the, the super spectrum and he mentioned that sometimes people on psychedelics are able to tune into this super spectrum and psychics and trans channelers uh, and that's uh, an explanation for the UFOs it's like seeing an infrared or turning a radio to a certain frequency where you can see through one of those UFO windows or whatever it was so I think the uh, drugs basically put our mind in that state and also I mentioned you know before we even saw the things we planted that seed what if we saw a ufo right now so there's kind of that uh little bit of a rich yeah so it's almost the same type thing i mean our buddy richard is doing over at c-seti no well not steven steven altered state yeah yeah what's the difference right i mean you can people can compare uh hallucinogens and and meditating so why Mm -hmm. you know why can't you make that jump as well sure yeah indeed i i had the feeling when you're talking about your sighting that you guys uh, also had somebody else that saw the same thing that wasn't right there so you you and your friends saw this physically together right Mm -hmm. yeah nope nope there was no other reports that i could find about anybody seeing all this stuff yeah but you both physically like looked and saw this thing or whatever right yeah we we were describing it both to each other you seeing what i am man okay okay and he's going yeah it's you know (laughs) yeah yeah it must have been another story i was thinking of another story where people were on psychedelics and they had the same experience but they were in different rooms or something like that oh yeah crazy yeah crazy tales like that yeah and so we went through that, saw the, went through that whole experience. I remember the, I've written about this one. I wish I would have uh, written more about it when the, it first happened. Yeah. Yeah. But then, uh, yeah, we saw, I forget how many now, six, seven, whatever, eight. And the last one we saw was like a uh, shooting star that came down from the sky. Then it kind of hung in midair. Then it, uh, exploded <laughs> and then we were walking back 
we got to the point where we saw the uh, first UFO or whatever it was. We were about, uh, I don't know, 50 yards away, and a beam of light came down from the sky like it was emanating from a craft, you know. Wow. <laughs> but there was no craft that we could see, and whatever that, uh, I don't know what that means, any of that means, but it was yeah. like at the same spot. So who knows? And I had... Uh, when was that? Well, this was all the same. Oh, all the same experience. Oh, okay. Over the course of a uh, couple hours. Yeah, right, right. And then uh, I had uh, another experience. So nothing like that. I mean, I did uh, experimented with uh, psychedelics quite a bit back in the day, and (laughs) never saw anything like that. So. uh, I guess what I'm saying, I was an experienced tripper, and so <laughs> yeah, yeah. knew how, have had dealt with those states before. Yeah, yeah. Um, so about uh, probably a year later, then this is weird because this was just in a dream state. It was uh, uh, it was a summer night, so I slept in outside in the backyard on this chaise lounge. And so, yeah, I went to sleep in my backyard facing, would have been facing east. And uh, went to sleep, apparently. And so, anyway, I'm in this, wake up in the dream, and I'm still in my backyard. Everything is exactly the same, nothing different, you know. Uh, unlike most dreams where it's a combination of this or that, you know. Mm-hmm. And everything was exactly the same, but the only weird thing was this light started approaching from the east, getting closer and closer and brighter and brighter. Pretty soon it was a UFO, you know, it's holy shit. And right then, uh, there was a tap on my shoulder, and I uh, jerked <laughs> to my right, woke up. Uh, there was nobody there, and the UFO was gone. <laughs> And so I tell that to some people, and they say, well, if you're an ab, you know, that might have been abduction experience. (laughs) Have you ever thought of doing, uh, like, a uh, hypnotic regression or something like that? I thought about it. It'd be cool. (laughs) I haven't done it yet. i do a past life regression sometime. Yeah, those are cool. I wonder if we can get someone that can do it over the podcast. Yeah, sure. Like, while I'm on Hmm. live type. I know. There you go. Sweet. That'd be an idea, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people have experienced healing. I know a few friends that have then uh, they've really had some revelations. <laughs> Darren's shaking his head right now. <laughs> no more healing. <sighs> We've been on a kind of a healing rampage here lately. I'm all healed out. Healed up. <laughs> healed up. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, Adam, have you have you still do you still follow the UFO topic at all or, or does it uh is it sort of like me where it comes and goes a little bit? Comes and goes. Um, actually, it's coming around again. I'm, I'm kind of working <laughs> on a, <laughs> a couple of books, but they're not your typical uh, books. One is a, a I'm, uh, I hate talking about uh, projects that aren't done yet, but yeah, one's yeah. kind of on the history, the contactees. There hasn't been a lot done, UFO books on the, the contactee movement. Then one will probably be if I can I'll find somebody to publish it. Just a collection of different UFOs uh, things I've written over the years because I've written uh, uh, 
you know, column for UFO magazines, and I've done other things I've written, you know, uh, so that there's enough material and interviews I've done. Then I've also been working on an extended uh, article, essay, whatever, on the whole Dulce base thing for a number of years, which I think has some uh, unique insights in there and uh, uh, perhaps some things uh, people don't uh, know about the the origins of all that, the whole mythology. So I'll probably pull that all together in the book. As far as following the uh, current UFO scene, I guess I do, but I'm not <laughs> real enthused about it. I've uh, spoke at conferences and such before in the past and kind of uh, went and covered some for UFO uh, magazine, but it's kind of like uh, been there or done that type of uh, yeah. thing. And I'm not uh, real, nothing much, uh, is, you know, uh, interesting me about the topic, but I, I stay, you know, try to kind of keep up on it a little bit if something interesting uh, pops up. Yeah, that whole Dulce thing could use some new what's new uh, information what's front and center on your radar these days oh heck well a lot of it's just the discordian stuff i've been working on just because uh that the, somebody had to because i was given all these <laughs> materials you know so that's uh and the website you'll see if you i don't know if you guys know anything about all well, of I'm, this. I'm actually not even really familiar with the term and mm -hmm. I've heard I've heard you talk about it a little bit with with uh, Greg on THC and and possibly somewhere else, but but I I still can't really wrap my head around it. So <laughs> it would be good for you to maybe just give us a little background on that. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do a little, but uh... yeah, yeah. Take your time. Well, and and you know yeah. why? Before I, well, no, I'll, I'll let you go, and then I'll ask you a couple questions about it because yeah, that's. Uh, it's an interesting time for this whole Discordia thing to come out because of all these other, other uh, synchronicities. No, no, just other <laughs> other like research that's kind of shedding light on the propaganda, right? So. Well, let me uh, tell you how I didn't know much about uh, Discordianism. Uh, I'll say in the uh, late '90s, I had heard about it a little bit, but I became interested in Kerry Thornley who I knew from, didn't really know, but had heard of from back in the zine, zine days. He was a interesting character, and I was interested in the JFK assassination. I'd done a lot of research in that. And then, uh, so I heard about a kind of unpublished uh, thing he had written called Dreadlock Recollections. Uh, it's Kerry Thornley. And I got it, and it didn't make a lot of sense to me, really. None of the people <laughs> he was saying involved I'd ever heard of. So it was kind of a head-scratcher. So as far as um, Thornley, um, uh, so I knew the guy. He'd done a lot in the zine world. was kind of an interesting character. In uh, 91, a book came out called uh, Conspiracies, Cover-Ups, and Crimes, and there was a chapter on Kerry Thornley. I kind of I learned more about him uh, than he was one uh, thing, the founder of Discordianism. Mm -hmm. and we'll get it. We'll get into that in a minute. But uh, the other things he had become uh, 
involved in the JFK assassination, uh, Garrison's investigation, you know, which they based the JFK movie on. Garrison claimed he was a one of the Oswald doubles and a CIA agent and all this stuff. And uh, Thornley claimed that um, he had actually been unwittingly involved in all of that and that he was an MK Ultra mind control victim and part of a Nazi genetic breeding experiments, all this wild stuff, you know, Thornley was talking about back in the <laughs> 70s and the 80s. And so the, this chapter in this book talked about him. I go, what a fascinating uh, character, you know. Uh, the guy who wrote the book, Jonathan Vankin, said he was uh, considering writing a biography of Thornley. Huh. He never got around to doing that, so I, I got interested and was uh, gathering material on Thornley. I corresponded with him. He was still alive at that point. And I thought, if I ever get enough uh, material, maybe I'll write that book. And by the late 90s, I kind of feeling like I had enough to uh, take that leap. Hmm. Now, so in the uh, backtrack to the late 1950s, Thornley... Uh, lived in Whittier, California, and he and his buddy, Greg Hill, uh, they used to meet in bowling, alley, bowling alleys and uh, talk philosophy, politics, these type of things. Uh, they're kind of uh, free-thinking nerds for that uh, day and age, and they'd go into bowling alleys because they could uh, stay there late hours and they were able to buy beer and <laughs> as high schoolers and just uh, screw around, and they, they'd get into these... Uh, long-winded conversations and uh one of the conversations had to do with all the order with order and why there was so much chaos in the world you know and uh kind of came to the uh, conclusion that there really was no order in the world order was just the fulfilling form of chaos uh you know it was man's uh perception men tried to put order on the world but it really you know they're really just living in a chaotic uh, universe and how they've been all these religions set up to these deities who brought order into the universe and they laughed about it and they said well we need really a uh, religion that reflects all the true chaos in the world Kerry hmm. said to greg hill and greg hill said well <laughs> there already is a uh, goddess in uh, Greek mythology who represents chaos and disorder, and her name is Eris. So let's start a religion, and they went on to write a uh, Bible called Principia Discordia and claimed they had a mystical vision in that Southern California bowling alley back in 19, when this happened, 1958. So you have that background there, that, there then, and uh, a couple of years later, Thornley went into the Marines. And he met, uh, this was in Southern California, and he met Lee Harvey Oswald there. This was, you know, three years before, yeah, three years before the Kennedy assassination. And uh, like, uh, you know, Thornley was a very inquisitive guy and liked to discuss <laughs> things, you know, and he, he found uh, Oswald to be kind of an interesting character. They only spent like a month or so together. And then uh, Thornley got shipped overseas, and as he was, uh, he was a budding writer. That's kind of why he got into the military. He wanted to travel the world, and during that 
time he was being shipped overseas to Japan, he started writing a book about how it was to be a soldier in the Cold War period called The Idle Warriors. And he based the main character uh, called Johnny Shelburne after himself and other Marines he knew, one of whom was Oswald. So he got over to Japan, and that's where he heard that Oswald had defected. And so at that point, the book uh, became, the main character became pretty much entirely based on Oswald. (laughs) And so he's writing this book about the uh, Oswald three three years before the Kennedy assassination. Um, See this, this, there's a lot of, (laughs) a lot to get in here to tell this story, but bear with me. We'll get back to Discordianism. Yeah, yeah, no problem. and so, yeah, that was kind of an in-joke discordianism with Greg Hill and Kerry Thornley. Uh, so uh, Thornley got out of the Marines in like uh, 61, and uh, he went to uh, went back to Southern California, met up with Greg Hill again. They said, we need to go somewhere more interesting than you know Orange County back in the late 1950s. Let's uh, go to the uh, New Orleans French Quarter Live, try to live there for a while. Uh, Thornley was a budding writer, and so was Greg Hill, and they were interested in meeting colorful people. And so they uh, went to uh, they moved there in the uh, towards the end of uh, 1961. They started more of their Discordian activities at that time, you know, and it was just basically a spoof religion, somewhat like uh, the Church of Subgenius. They got a few different people involved there and started putting together some of the early writings of Discordianism. A lot of these uh, are in this book, Historia Discordia. So during that uh, period, uh, they are there. Um, Supposedly, well, not supposedly, Oswald was there for a short period of time (laughs) uh, during this period between 61 and uh, 63. And there was really a two-week overlap where Thornley and Oswald were both in New Orleans. And you, if you're familiar with all the uh, JFK stuff and Garrison investigation, uh, Oswald was out there handing out communist leaflets for the fair play for Cuba and all that was going on. He was being, supposedly being manipulated by, you know, all those conspirators in New Orleans that are talked about in the uh, JFK movie. And so all that craziness happened. Then uh, the assassination went down. <laughs> and, uh, oh, boy, this this gets pretty uh, deep. But uh, let me back up by saying when uh, in 61, when Thornley first got to New Orleans, he was interested in meeting all these uh, colorful characters. And, uh, and some he met were, uh, a couple of them were named Gary Kirsten and Slim Brooks, and they claimed, or they did have connections to the uh, gangster world, and they claimed they had been involved in uh, military intelligence during World War II and all this stuff. There are a couple of... Uh, couple of sketchy characters, as uh, Thornley described him, especially this guy, Gary Kirsten, who was also known as brother-in-law. And so they'd have these theoretical conversations about all kinds of stuff. And one of them, uh, 
was started was how to kill a president and in particular how to kill Kennedy. And uh, at the time, you know, Thornley thought this was just kind of a morbid uh, intellectual exercise, but later these conversations would come back to haunt him, as I write about in the uh, book. And and so all that, those things went down too, and then the assassination went down, and uh, Kerry, uh, he was very critical of (laughs) JFK, and he was actually joking about the uh, assassination on (laughs) after it happened, and he said, uh, and people started connecting him with Oswald because he said, well, I know that guy, Oswald. We were in the Marines together, and so there was a lot of suspicion there. Uh, Thornley was critical of um, Kennedy because a lot of things that were going on, on internationally, there was a uh, NATO-led uh, thing that went down in Africa. It was basically a slaughter of a bunch of people, and he held Kennedy responsible responsible for that. It was called the Contenga Massacre. And he, he wasn't a big fan of uh, Kennedy back in those days, which uh, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. So he and a friend of his went into a bar and started buying uh, drinks uh, for everybody celebrating <laughs> Kennedy's assassination and uh, doing toasts to uh, Oswald's drill instructor, all this crazy stuff, because Thornley was a pretty irrelevant you know, reverent guy, <clears throat> getting the word out of my mouth, but he was a pretty unconventional uh, fellow, so he did crazy stuff like that sometimes. But uh, so all this, <laughs> all this craziness went down. And so in the aftermath of all that, uh, a lot of, there was a lot of alienation. People weren't too happy <laughs> with him in New Orleans. And, uh, he also heard about the uh, Warren Commission was uh, coming together uh, probably in early 64. So he got out of uh, New Orleans and actually moved to uh, Virginia in the prospects that he could uh, appear before the Warren Commission to talk about knowing Oswald because he had written this book, The Idle Warriors, and it would be it would be a good way to promote it. So Thornley ends up... Uh, talking, uh, you know, uh, testifying before the Warren Commission, and they're still doing Discordian uh, uh, society stuff during this period. And actually, around this same time, they'd finished the first edition of the Principia Discordia, or How the West Was Lost, and it was actually printed after hours in Jim Garrison's office by a friend of (laughs) Thornley's who was a secretary there. She helped run some off uh, some of the first editions off on a mimeograph machines or portions of that first edition. That's part of this whole crazy legend. And that first edition was lost for many, many years, but I came across it in the Discordian archives. So it's kind of like the holy grail of Discordianism. And it's uh, facsimile appears in this book, Historia Discordia. So I'll try to uh, shorten this up a little bit, but... Uh, so after all that happens, in 68, uh, Garrison uh, starts his investigation, claims uh, Thornley met with Oswald in New Orleans. He's one of the notorious Oswald doubles. Uh, so the next few years of Thornley's life is living hell, dealing with all of this. And uh, 
during that time, uh, Thornley caught wind that uh, Garrison had all these different investigators running around coming up with wild claims. Uh, some of those wild claims were, you know, the ones directed at Thornley. That one investigator claimed that the uh, there was a John Birch Society guy uh, named Alan Chapman. He claimed uh, that the uh, Bavarian Illuminati was behind the uh, Kennedy or Kennedy assassination. And so that was some of the information fed to Garrison, and when Thornley heard about that, he thought it was uh, hilarious. So he thought, uh, pull a Discordian Society uh, prank, which they ended up calling Operation Mindfuck. <laughs> and at that time, people like Robert Anton Wilson were involved with uh, corresponding, becoming a Discordian Society member, and a, several others. So they cooked up. Uh, this operation mind fucked, and they came up with uh, uh, phony letterhead with the Bavarian Illuminati, the world's oldest and most successful conspiracy. And they all came up with Discordian names. Uh, Thornley was Omer Kayam Ravenhurst. Uh, Robert Anton Wilson was Mordecai the Fowl. Um, Greg Hill was Maliclips the Younger. And so they'd send off these Discordian letters, and some of them they directed to uh, Jim Garrison admitting that, yes, we are members of the uh, Bavarian Illuminati, but we've come here to illuminate you. We weren't really that's, involved in the Kennedy assassination. That's, that's kind of gutsy. <laughs> and so, and once again, a lot of this stuff is reproduced in these two books. So you had all that crazy period. And so they, this Discordian Society became a network of different writers across the country writers, humorous, whatever, a lot of pretty prominent uh, people, Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Shea, who wrote the Illuminatus trilogy, a lot of other uh, folks, I won't go down, name the list of them, but, and so uh, the later editions of the Principia Discordia became more of a collaboration with all these people, and they basically sent stuff back and forth to each other in the mail, and that became what uh, evolved as the subsequent editions of the Principia Discordia, which ended up heavily influencing the Illuminatus trilogy by Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Shea. In the first edition, or the first book of Illuminatus, it's dedicated to none other than Kerry Thornley and Greg Hill, the founders of Discordianism. And there's all kinds of uh, references to Discordian the Discordian Society and different concepts and aphorisms and all, all the crazy stuff they were into heavily influenced, uh, you know, Illuminatus. So all, all of these activities with the early days of the Discordian Society really had uh, a heavy role in influencing uh, different subcultures and the counterculture and uh, spoof religions that came after like the church of uh subgenius and you know continues uh, like i said there seems to be a resurgence going on now with uh, uh discordianism and uh robert anton wilson and so a lot of this ground is covered in these uh, latest two books so that's kind of a thumbnail of uh Discordianism and Kerry Thornley and all this craziness that revolved around the worship of the Greek goddess of chaos and discord. Here.
so this was all like a prankster kind of thing. Like, what would? It doesn't sound like they had much of a kind of a goal for this, right? It was just sort of playing around with things. Playing around with things, but uh, messing around with um, or challenging people's perceptions. And you know, they were not only um, uh, poking fun at organized religion, but also uh, a lot of the. Uh, counterculture <laughs> a lot of the phoniness and stuff and the counterculture that was part of it but you know there was also in all of them a uh, yearning for some type of uh, religion meaning whatever in their uh, lives and so discordian discordianism was a way to explore a lot of this stuff so it wasn't all just pranks and uh, humor you know they were um, very interested in anarchism and libertarianism, so explored a lot of these areas, but, uh, you know, always did it in a, you know, humorous uh, manner and tried to keep a perspective on <laughs> uh, those uh, crazy times back then. Hmm. So is there like a chance... Satire. Is there is there a chance they were co-opted by the intelligence community oh. back then for experimentation and, like, just to okay. actually see what, what happened, or...? Well, that's a possibility. Uh, of course, uh, Garrison, once again, he suspected that the uh, Discordian Society was a uh, CIA front. Of course, he claimed that uh, Thornley was a CIA agent and all this <laughs> stuff. There's never been uh, proof. But, um, yeah, <laughs> get into a lot of this uh, in the book and... Uh, course they all thought it, that was hilarious at the uh time you know and, uh wilson robert anton wilson remarked you know imagine a uh, judge and jury trying to keep a uh, straight face while somebody's presenting the, the uh, theory that uh, the great goddess of chaos and discord who had all the with all these members by the name of mordecai the foul and uh <laughs> um who else fame the unwashed that was Malachi some of their, the younger yeah that they were all uh, behind the uh, assassination of john f kennedy oddly enough though um in later years uh thornley went kind of went off the deep end for a period of years and yeah i think uh, according to uh accounts to people uh, who knew him the best uh, came a bit of a paranoid schizophrenic but he's able to overcome this uh, through different ways over the years. But there was a heavy period of paranoia. You can't blame the guy because he had all this persecution going on with uh, Garrison and all of this. And he later began to suspect that. Remember that guy I mentioned in New Orleans who talked about uh, killing the president with him? Yeah. Just having those conversations. Kerry uh, later came to suspect that uh, he was uh, E. Howard Hunt, the legendary CIA agent in disguise. I'm not sure if you're familiar with E. Howard Hunt. Many people have linked him to the uh, Kennedy assassination. And so all of this really uh, got sent kind of carry off the uh, deep end, and he began to suspect uh, one time or another that all his friends were part of the conspiracy that Robert Anton Wilson had been his mind control handler, crazy stuff like this. And uh, Thornley, uh, you know, though 
during the garrison investigation, he denied any involvement. He later began to suspect that, yeah, he was manipulated. He was an unwitting pawn in the JFK assassination, that he was going to be used like a uh, second Oswald if they hadn't been able to set up Oswald and he could be a fallback Oswald, that like they had been taping those uh, conversations without his knowledge about killing the president, all this stuff. And it really sent him over the deep end. So at one time or another, Kerry Thornley suspect, but yeah, maybe we were uh, manipulated and maybe we were, the Scordian Society was used as a front organization or manipulated in some way. Hmm. I don't buy that, but you know, <laughs> there's a possibility there's some uh, truth to that. I, I looked into that pretty much in the second book uh, about the uh, garrison investigation. And, you know, people can be their uh, own judge. I, you know, if they're, they want to learn more about this or really curious, uh, pick up the book and you can, it's pretty well referenced and sourced and people can come to their own conclusions. There's been a lot of speculation if you get on the web and look up Kerry Thornley, I mean, in JFK discussion groups and all this, it's like people are uh, ready to, and they have jumped on the bandwagon, yeah, Kerry Thornley was a liar and all this, and he was CIA, and it's like, <laughs> uh, they're just, it's a lot of it's just regurgitating what came out of the Garrison investigation with the, without really digging deep into the files. And I had a bunch of uh, material, Thornley's, letters and correspondence and other materials related to this whole period. So I looked into it in pretty great depth. So if people really want to find out more about it, yeah, I'd recommend this latest book, which once again is Caught in the Crossfire, Carrie Thornley, Lee Oswald, and the Garrison Investigation. Hmm. And I, I touched on this topic in the first book I wrote, the uh, years ago, 2003, called The Prankster and the Conspiracy, uh, story of Kerry Thornley and how he met Oswald and inspired the counterculture. I wanted to mention uh, one other thing about when I was writing that book back in 2000, well, let me back up to uh, the year 2000, I had uh, started uh, finally decided, yeah, I think I can move forward with this Thornley project. And I got an email one day, and this is at an email address that wasn't my, had anything to do with uh, my work in writing for the zines or paranormal, any of that that stuff. It was an email address that just a few people, friends and family uh, knew. So I got an email there from one day from uh, somebody named Robert Newport. I had no idea who this guy was, Dr. Robert Newport, and he, uh, the email said that Greg Hill, the founder of Discordianism, died on, it was around that time, July 20th, uh, year 2000. Huh. That was, <laughs> that was the extent of the email. I went, hmm. Interesting. Uh, nobody People didn't know to email me there. I had other go-rightly emails. This was a personal <laughs> email. So I responded back, and I said, uh, Hi, did you know uh, Kerry Thornley, too? And he goes, Yeah, I uh, grew up with uh, uh, Kerry Thornley and Greg Hillen. I was a co-founder of Discordianism with them. 
Went, okay, so I started the correspondence with uh, Newport and kind of got to know each other. And he helped set up the meeting with Robert Anton Wilson. And so that was like uh, a year or so later. And we met, and he brought some of these Discordian archives. He had a uh, armload of them. And uh, at that time, I thought that was the extent of the material. And some of it used in that book, The Prankster and the Conspiracy. He let me borrow it, take it home. I scanned it all. Newport had planned to do a website at some point. Um, so I asked, you know, I think there's enough material for another book here on the history of Discordianism uh, at some point. And he was cool with that. So, okay, I'll stay in touch with you. I stayed in touch with him over the years, you know, and he was always thumbs up. thought that was a cool idea for a project. Then in uh, 2009, he said, uh, well, if next time you're down here in L.A., stop by and I'll give you everything. Wow. And I didn't realize that there was a lot more than just that armload of material. It was several boxes of material, which led to these uh, different book projects. And there'll be a couple other uh, projects to emerge and. You know, I'd ask, I remember asking him again, how did you know how to contact me back then? He, he had no idea how that all came about. Really? Yeah. So, because he must have just known you were the front runner of all this research kind of thing, right? But no. how would he know that? He wouldn't huh. have known it. Huh. I, wasn't, I wasn't talking about it. He had, no. And he so didn't that, have an answer for you? He doesn't remember. Wow. When I asked him then, then okay, I posted. <laughs> well, who knows? Or somewhere, he, Newport's a pretty uh, mystical fellow too. So there's some of that going on. <laughs> but he was also, uh, yeah, had some time. They all had time in the military. Uh, who knows? But I became the uh, chosen one. He got more interested in doing landscape uh, painting. Remember, these guys were all in fact involved in the 60s uh, counterculture and psychedelics. At one time, interestingly enough, a lot of times they all lived in different parts of the country, but there was one period in the early 70s where they all ended up on the Russian River in uh, California near a town called Monte Rio. Greg Hill, the founder of Discordianism, started a uh, movie theater there that was an old Quonset hut in Newport, helped him out. Newport had a psychiatry practice going as well. You know, it was more of a communal thing. And uh, Carrie Thornley was uh, nearby there, a place called Camp Meeker, which was a couple miles away with another Discordian, Discordian called Camden, named Camden Benares, who wrote books like Zen Without Zen Masters and a couple others. And uh, also Robert Anton Wilson was... Uh, living in Rio Nido. So these towns were all within a couple miles of each other. So they had a scene going on there in the early uh, 70s, and uh, the town of Monte Rio, where the movie theater was, just ha happens to be a couple miles from Bohemian Grove, which you guys probably know about. Yeah. Is it close <laughs> to Laurel Canyon at all, too? Mm -mm. No, this is more... Uh, Northern California. So that's oh, another yeah. weird synchronicity that they were that close to Bohemian Grove. And I asked uh, Robert Anton Wilson about that one time. He goes, <laughs> saying, what was the deal with all you guys? Do you have some Illuminati thing going on there? Because you're 
so uh, close to the Bohemian Grove, and he looked at me rather puzzled, like he didn't know what I was talking about. So who knows? Oh, that's weird too, huh? <laughs> so because it, it it kind of uh, it it feels like to me that it's almost tied into this whole, and this is why people are becoming more interested in it too. Is like th- like this guy at Gnostic Media and stuff too. They're talking about how the whole New Age movement was. Uh, like mind control, right? And all propaganda, like this, you know, meditation, new age, all this stuff is like put there for us. Oh, well, I'm sure, you know, the intelligence agencies and such uh, tried and were successful in infiltrating and co-opting, but on the same token, the counterculture was successful on infiltrating the intelligence agencies and whatever who have the LSD. And I don't think it's as simple to, as Gnostic media <laughs> presents it, it's all cut and dry that anybody who was ever involved in the psychedelic movement is, uh, defe- you know, because of that de facto agent of uh, MK Ultra or whatever. That's much too uh, Simplistic. I know, you know, Leary and Wilson was good friends with Leary. Uh, yeah. They were well aware of where their, uh, the LSD was uh, coming from. That doesn't mean they couldn't use it to their <laughs> own benefit and try to get something positive out of all of that. Uh, right, right. So, uh, the funny thing, and there's, once again, I going back to the uh, latest book, I get into it a little bit. Um, both uh, Oswald and Thornley uh, served at uh, Atsugi Air Base in Japan. Their duties there were as a radar technician for the U-2 uh, spy plane flights back then. Uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are with all of that history. Huh. But uh, And that, that was one of the big things in the Cold War. The U-2 spy plane got... Uh, uh, shot down over Soviet territory, and it was like 60... Is that like two, the Behind Enemy Lines movie thing? It might be. I'm not familiar with that movie, but it was... Uh, uh, the pilot was uh, Gary Powers, and uh, the Russians captured him for a period of time. Finally, he got uh, released. He later said Oswald was behind that, you know, because Oswald had defected and shared secrets. And so... Thornley and Oswald both served at this uh, Atsugi Air Base where these U-2 flights went out of. uh, They served there at different times, but as it later turned out, uh, Atsugi Air Base and also the uh, base in Manila where Thornley had also been been stationed were where the was where the MK Ultra stuff was going on. It's where they had all the LSD. CIA had all LSD stored and where they were testing on um, soldiers. And uh, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that uh, Oswald was uh, tested on. And uh, so I won't go into all those (laughs) details, but it looks like, you know, that uh, there's a good possibility that both, uh, you know, uh, Oswald and Thornley were subjects of the MKUltra and the LSD uh, testing that went on. And oddly enough, Remember I mentioned E. Howard Hunt before? Yeah. He also served at Atsugi Air Base during that time period. (laughs) They're all CIA. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty creepy. And then does this this take you to that, uh, like, Dave McGowan's work at all, too? Have you come across? Well, I like uh, Dave McGowan, and I 
loved his uh, book. You guys interviewed him. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. pretty. It, it kind of blew our minds a bit because we hadn't really. They, like we've done this podcast for a while now, and I'm interested in all kinds of different different topics. But it really makes me now. It's making me realize <laughs> how little I really do know, and and there's all these things that I haven't even really had the time to come across like like dave mcgowan's work and even like uh some of your work so yeah but the the more the more the more information you get the less you realize you know anything about it you're more confused you know it's even with mcgowan stuff and that's a you know i'd recommend that uh book i was uh flying across the uh country and you know read it in a few hours and loved it and i'd been familiar with the stuff he uh he posted some of that stuff on the uh, web before, and it does make you wonder, but there's nothing 100% uh, conclusive except to say that, man, a lot of <laughs> a lot of this uh, certainly seems suspicious, but who knows? Yeah, a lot of I mean, I, th- I think there's a lot of weird synchronicities, too, that go on with all of this stuff. I, I feel pretty confident that... Uh, Kerry Thornley was never a uh, knowingly a CIA agent or any of that, but uh, yeah, uh, good chance that he was uh, manipulated to some extent. Huh. Are you a believer in synchronicity? Well, I guess not a believer, but uh, <laughs> um, do you oh, well, do you read anything into them, or do you take them as more than coincidence? Um, I was gonna. I had to pull out a passage from a uh, Robert Anton Wilson book, if I have it handy, about uh, belief. But uh, so I don't like the word uh, belief. I wonder if I have the book here. I'm looking as we talk. Yeah, I do. I always pull this thing out. But uh, I'm aware of uh, synchronicities, and they've happened quite a bit with all these uh, Discordian book projects. There's been a number of them. Um, you guys still there? You betcha. You bet. Oh, okay. Power cord went out, so I thought I uh, yeah. might have lost you. I mean, there's been a, a bunch with all the different uh, book projects, and so I think uh, it's not something you can harness, though, and make happen for you. It just happens when, uh, and perhaps it's because you're just putting attention towards something that you're noticing these things, but some of them are pretty odd. Uh, I could I could go through down through a number of them that had happened with these different book projects. I already told you one about how I came across the material. Uh, the guy who gave it to me had no idea how he became aware of me. And uh, yeah. there you go. He wasn't really into the zine scene or conspiracies or anything. So who the heck knows? Um, Does that I'm scare hit- you at all? No, I just go with the flow. It's like, oh, it's crazy. Uh, like, uh, maybe the Warren Commission will come out knocking on your door next. <laughs> no, I think there, there's something um, we uh, don't understand or we uh, don't value the power of human consciousness. <laughs> uh, what those limits are, if you know, what and uh, so. I think there's some type of uh, grid where people will tune into, uh, like the, this uh, the Astoria Discordia book, the uh, lady who was laying it out 
doing the editing and uh, stuff. It was really odd. This happened several, several times. We'd exchange notes, uh, okay, do this or that. And then uh, a couple days would go by, and then I thought, oh, that last message I sent to her, I forgot to mention this. I get on, uh, start typing up an email before I'm done. Here comes an email from her asking for that one particular detail. Yeah. <laughs> and it happened quite a few times after a while. You go, well, <laughs> no reason to be scared of that. There's <laughs> more things to be scared about in this world. Uh, coming up with uh, the uh, book cover concept for this Caught in the Crossfire book, um, I'd become friends with a guy named Robert Preston on Facebook who's doing a lot of uh, cool work. He'd make a good guess, too. Um, yeah, I'll make he, a note of that. He, uh, if you can find him on, or he has a website, Robert Preston, uh, you can find him. He does uh, a lot of conspiracy-related pa paintings and illustrations. And he had these uh, ones he was doing of a... Uh, Oh, like of a, a mind control assassin. I, so I got to know him on Facebook somehow, and I said, you ought to do some uh, uh, loan nut trading cards, you know, type of uh, concept. <laughs> and he, he thought that was a cool idea, and he did his kind of old, own spin on it. And he's been doing, now he's doing a bunch of uh, paintings on Illuminati women. He's calling them the Illuminatis, as in naughty. <laughs> So he does some really cool stuff, you know, and so the uh, so we're developing this uh, Caught in a Crossfire book, and I was emailing with the uh, publisher there, Adam Parfrey, who's done a lot of great work over the years, and I had a concept idea for the cover and was taking a newspaper clipping of uh, Carrie Thornley, then maybe uh, superimposing some smaller images of Garrison and Oswald. Mm -hmm. And in the back of my mind, I, I, you know, I thought, well, Robert uh, Preston would be a good person to do these, this illustration, but I didn't, I didn't want to be too forward. I just shared uh, my concept with uh, Adam Parfrey. Uh, then he emailed me back uh, right after that. He said, Hey, uh, you know, the uh, work of Robert Preston, he might be a, good person to do the cover <laughs> yeah that's uh <laughs> so that's happened quite a bit and so uh i like to always so uh, do you show... put do you put me any meaning behind them or do you think it's just noticing them like do you think some people say you know maybe it's a sign you're on the right path or other people think it's sort of a a peak that maybe we're more responsible for shaping our reality than, than we think or. Yeah. Both, both of those. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I like what he said about Union. how you can't harness them too. Right. Like that's, that's uh, yeah. Darren likes to ask uh, about Graham synchronicities and he can harness them. But Graham <laughs> thinks everything's a synchronicity. So. <laughs> oh, you can go this, you can <laughs> get pretty, pretty stupid with it too. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, uh, Wilson, and they got into the whole 23 enigma. They kind of planted that in uh, culture. William S. Burroughs came up with all these uh, weird coincidences around number 23. So the Discordians thought they would kind of plant that more into popular culture back, you know, it was in the late 60s, early 70s. And all of a sudden, 
and they kind of did it as a joke just to see if people would pick up on uh, these things and start seeing the 23 everywhere. And uh, oddly enough, it affected uh, Wilson. He started <laughs> what he intended to be kind of a sociological study. All of a sudden, he started seeing the number 23 everywhere. So, but, you know, you, you said the word uh, X, did I believe in the synchronicities? And when anybody asks me to, if I believe in anything, I'm a little hesitant to uh, give definitive answers because I love this quote from Wilson. I keep this book handy. It's Cosmic Trigger One. And it's in the uh, preface. Uh, yeah. he, he says, in quote, my own opinion is that belief is the death of intelligence. As soon as one believes a doctrine of any sort or a certain certitude, one stops thinking about that aspect of existence. The more certitude one assumes, the less there is left to think about it. And a person sure of everything would never have any need to think about anything and might be considered clinically dead under current medical standards, <laughs> where the absence of brain activity is taken to mean that life is ended. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, very, for thought, very appropriate. Hey, don't look at me, buddy. I'm open-minded. I sit on the fence on a lot of things, man. I don't have no, anything no, dogmatic beliefs. You're never beliefs. on the fence on anything. You are oh, all in. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, he likes to bug me. You'll be a Discordian by the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I usually jump into the guest projects a little bit, so change my diet or start meditating or stop meditating or whatever. Stop grazing. Well, that's okay with Discordianism because there's no rules. That's the whole thing behind it. And I was going to say, you know, they started this at kind of as a formal joke religion and back in the early days Hill and Thornley, Malaclipse and uh, Omar were the only one who could uh, grant Pope head or, you know, certify people into the Discordian societies <laughs> and uh, declare them popes. But uh, at one point later in the 60s, Greg Hill decided that was all a bunch of BS and so got rid of that and uh, declared that anybody at any time could declare, declare themselves popes and start their own religion. <laughs> and so uh, you'll see that in Discordianism that uh, every man and woman can be and declare themselves a pope, and they don't even know they are, but they already are a Discordian pope. So there's really no rules in the religion whatsoever. If you look up on the Internet, uh, now you'll see that Discordians are all across the uh, board with what they believe or uh, and the old uh, discordian saying goes uh we discordians must stick apart <laughs> i like that <laughs> yeah that's awesome um yeah darren likes to ask about synchronicities i like your uh i like your answers there and i like how you uh talk about being it's too bad uh, i like 42, our consciousness. So 42 instead of 23 though <laughs> It's whatever you're looking for, man. Yeah, that's right. Find it seems like it's like that eleven eleven thing that uh, got started a few years back. Now I'm, I see it quite a bit, you know. This, you know, you look at the clock or whatever eleven yeah. eleven. Or you shit, wake up and it's three thirty three. I don't know what that what the hell it means, but uh, I was gonna. Yeah, there was a bunch of uh, synchronicities. There was one lady called Louise Lacey. Uh, 
uh, I became friends with, and she was a uh, early Discordian back in the day, and her uh, Discordian handle was uh, Lady L Fab, F-A-B, and that uh, was short for fucking anarchist bitch. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so she knew Thornley back in the day, and she had some photos, and I went and visited her visited her in uh, Berkeley and interviewed her. And uh, we were looking, she was looking around for this one photo of Carrie Thornley with a harmonica she had taken in front of her house there in Berkeley back in the day, looking all around for it and starting to uh, drive her crazy. We got off onto other topics. She, She's a uh, writer, editor. She had written for Ramparts uh, magazine back in the day, which was the cutting edge before Rolling Stone and other magazines, it was the first uh, counterculture political magazine. They covered the Kennedy assassination very early on, really a lot of the groundbreaking stuff. And she was kind of a research director there. And uh, later years, she worked on other projects. And one of them was with uh, the drummer for the Grateful Dead, uh, Mickey Hart. Uh-huh. He had written something about the uh, history of drumming. So she did a bunch of uh, historical research uh, for him. So we were talking about that. She pointed over and ran her hand over the uh, book, whatever that drumming book is by Mickey Hart. Uh, Mickey Hart, that goes back to Stanley Krippner. Yeah, and Bohemian Grove, man. But uh, so anyway... uh, Sorry if to interrupt you there. That's just <laughs> good one. She contacted me a couple days later and goes, you know, I found that uh, photo of Carrie Thornley. You know where I found it? That oh. book I ran my hand over, Mickey Hart's drumming book. She pulled that out afterwards. That's where the uh, photo of Carrie Thornley was. Yeah, that's crazy. What's that so on then, the synchro scale, Darren? Darren? Darren likes to rate well, synchronicities. Now that, now that it... Now that he said Mickey Hart, which ties into our oh, interview with Stanley Krippner, I'm going to add a point four two. <laughs> so I'll get it. 6.42, something like that? 7.42? 7.12. All right. <laughs> so these are the ones I remember. I mean, they happen uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Well, you're in the flow. I think that's what it is. Yeah. When you're in the flow and you're aware of what's going on, I think you notice these things. Maybe it's when yeah. you're going against the current. No. No? No. Doesn't work like that? No. <laughs> hey, Greg uh, Greg Carlwood from uh, THC dropped, dropped in the chat. We don't usually talk to the chat that much, but he, uh, he just wanted to say, uh, give a shout out to us and, and you, Adam. So. Oh, cool. Is, now, is this being broadcast live? Sort of. <laughs> okay. Just for the people in the chat room. Thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So people do have access live, but it's a new it's a new experiment for us. So. Yeah, ninety nine. It's kind of like uh, yeah, ninety nine point nine percent will be podcast cool. or more, more yeah. than that even. Ninety nine point nine 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 nine. Well, cool. Hey, thanks for uh, tuning in, Greg Carlwood. Keep up the good work on your end over there at higher the higher, higher side chats. Yeah, yeah, that's a podcast we love. We're we're uh, we've adopted his uh, his money bomb uh, philosophy, trying to to make that work here. So cool. Yeah. So, is there anything else you want to chat about before we uh, start wrapping it up at all? I mean, no. We're gonna link to all your books and stuff in the show notes. Cool. But. No, I'm good. Uh, just yeah, the one thing uh, direct people to uh, 
AstoriaDiscordia.com because there's a lot of material there. <laughs> That's going to be like uh, just a few books of material by the time we're done because there's, there's a lot of stuff in these Discordian archives that uh, uh, will never make it to uh, into a book form because it's just so much. So it's all free there on the web, these other uh, materials and postings. We've uh, done a lot of uh, rare archival materials for... Uh, people into this stuff and uh, a lot of uh, material yet uh, to come. Uh, so tune into that website. If you have an interest in all this uh, happy horse shit. What about uh, the podcast? Any thoughts at reviving that down the road? Uh, no. <laughs> it's a lot of work. That was a lot. Yeah. You, you did that quite a while ago eh? and you had a lot of good guests on too. That's uh, yeah. Thanks. Cool. Um, I dug doing it, you know, when I originally, um, started it kind of the idea was uh just to do it for a period of time and interview uh friends of mine that uh, had had weird experiences and this type of stuff and maybe later use some of that material for a book project and i i think i i will eventually do that pull out some of that uh, portions of those interviews and interweave that into a book and so I, st I was doing the podcast and it was i mean early on i guess in podcast not that early on but uh 2000 when did i do that into 2006 through 2008 so kind of early on as far as i got on the blog talk radio and that they just started that so i used that for a while and so i was becoming somewhat popular i guess you know i was getting some uh, listeners a lot of uh, positive feedback and then you start having people contact you for interviews yeah and so i started kind of doing that i figured okay well originally i just planned to uh, talk to friends whose weird experiences interested me but then people contact me i thought oh yeah it's uh, synchronicities or whatever they're meant to uh contact me so i'll interview whatever so i started doing more and more and yeah it becomes uh work you know and i was trying to figure out when i did the first interviews i prepare and write up a little intro yeah, yeah. then then i got into it and i go oh, screw all that i'll just uh not just, do anything and i didn't somewhere in between that worked well but then i wasn't always happy with interviews and i'd interview people who just want to come on and they wanted to talk to you about <laughs> whatever oh, yeah. they had. They, yeah. So I didn't dig that part of it. Then I just figured, yeah, it was a lot of uh, time, and I'm more into writing books and other creative efforts. And so I, I kind of dug it sometimes. Other times, you know, you'd be critical of yourself, too. I'd listen to an interview. It's like, oh, God, I hated whatever, how I did that, and screw this. You know? See, we got a solution. The secret is never to listen yeah. to it. I was say that. Just, <laughs> Just let throw it, go. it out into the ether. Well, yeah. Go. There so, you go. So but, how about your – so your... I, I do enough interviews now. I don't need – so, no, I'm not going to podcast anymore. Yeah. So how about your books on audio? Have you got any on audio, or have you thought about putting them on audio? Um. Not really. I've been approached in the uh, past, but no, nothing ever uh, came of it. So I'm I'm open to that. Yeah, but, you, that might be. I mean, we had a, a couple guests here that started up books and they put them on audio right away. I think they did pretty good, eh? Like, hmm. 
Um, yeah, it's it's just so easy that. to listen to he them now, that, right? Yeah, the audio book went blew off the shelf. Really? Did yeah. he? I thought that's what he said. Yeah, because it's it's just so much easier now with the you know phones and everybody strapped to their their little device that it's uh, it's pretty easy to absorb content that way. Strapped to their little device. Yeah, I'd I'd be open to that. I've never enjoyed really listening to books on tape though, you know. So yeah, well that would. <laughs> That would put a bit of a damper on your exploration. <laughs> yeah, I've I've liked it. I've had I found some some narrators. I think that made all the difference for me. Well, that too. Yeah, who who would do it? You know. Yeah. Huh. So, yeah, perhaps uh, some that's definitely something to look into in this day and age because you got to um, hit as many different medias. I mean, if you're writing books you got to do all these other things to uh, support them because things have changed so much nowadays with uh you know traditional book publishing it's uh you really need to hit corporations <laughs> well it's just whatever it's change change happens so you got to roll with it and so yeah. doing all these things the uh podcasting and social media and uh all that type of stuff i remember uh wasn't too long ago, you know, I actually learned to write on a typewriter and all that stuff. And when personal computers started coming in, uh, uh, a reality was like, ah, I'll never use one of those damn things. But yeah, life became a hell of a lot easier with word processing programs for a writer, you know, it's, it's a lot of people look back and, oh, it's, wasn't like it used to be back in the zine days and all that. Well, no, it isn't, but you can't go back, you know, so. Yeah. Make- Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the typewriter. When I was a kid, the typewriter was already a toy at Grandma's house. Really? <laughs> yeah, except I remember my uncle had one of those. It was like a fancy electric typewriter. It was basically like a, or, mini it was like processor. a little mini computer, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. Like you type it all out and then you'd press a button and then it would like. Mm. <laughs> yep. I think typing class in, in, is one of my most valuable classes in school. I remember school. trying to fucking jam as many keys as I could to see, you know, if you hit them at the right time, they they'd stick, stick up. <laughs> I'm a, I'm self-taught typist, wow. keyboard keyboard player. I can type. It depends on my, like, with my iPhone that I've had for a long time. I can type a lot of words per minute because it can pretty much just take my jargon and you know, it's like learned my personality. <laughs> Siri knows my personality enough Where? to fucking when I'm like what driving and just thumb mashing and not even looking at my phone, it kind of just picks it up. I, I can I can type uh, pretty fast on a uh, keyboard, but if I stop to think about what I'm doing, uh, <laughs> I probably could wouldn't uh, know. You know, it's just like a muscle mind whatever thing that goes on. I've done it so much. Yeah. Huh. It's in the, in being in the flow. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. yeah, well, we, we should uh, wrap it up, I guess, eh? It's yeah. uh, great to have you on. Thanks. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, we'll link to everything in the show notes. And you've also got some music videos. Did, did, did you do those music videos and stuff? Or? Uh, the music is mine. I have a uh, friend who uh, put a few to uh, video, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like the music. Uh, we were just listening yeah, to it yeah. before here. That's I want to really use cool. that one as the outro to the episode, if you don't mind. Yeah, I probably ought to share those uh, in a Dropbox as opposed to uh, getting them uh, 
uh, the audio off of YouTube, which probably isn't doesn't sound as good as. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, no, definitely not. Yeah, that'd be the, that'd be the way to go for sure. Yeah, let's maybe, do that. Yeah. Maybe I'll just get them all into a Dropbox. I know uh, Craig there was talking about uh, sharing music that way too through uh, some project he had going. So yeah, the podcast music sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. So I'll do that. Great. I'm glad yeah, we you should uh, throw a link up to that on our yeah, site. Yeah. Glad you guys uh, dig the music. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or like one the, of you does. Like the video too. The '70s naked women and the '70s are pretty cool too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a uh, cool one. Bring All back of memories them. of high school, eh, girl? <laughs> All of them are cool. There's one song called uh, "UFO Stew." UFO Stew. That's kind of a. Uh, you know, take off on the alien menace, and the guy who does these for me, Floyd Anderson, he's also a staff member at AstoriaDiscordia.com. Uh, we do projects together, but yeah, he, for that uh, UFO stew video, he uses some uh, footage from old 50s UFO flying saucer movies, so yeah, it's pretty awesome. cool, the stuff he does. Yeah, we'll check that out, too. <laughs> So is there anywhere else our listeners can track you down? Are you on, uh, do you have a, a Facebook page or, or are you on the Twitter? Yeah, I do all that. And that's go rightly on uh, Twitter and Adam go rightly on Facebook. Uh, people want to friend me and, uh, yeah, I got, uh, yeah, do all that stuff and have a couple of, have a website, adamgorightly.com, which a lot of people, uh, go to even though i haven't really uh updated it there in a few years except to update the uh, books but there's some interesting stuff on there then i have a uh, wordpress uh, blog that is more just funny crazy stuff that uh have like a devil girl of the month and a crazy bongo broad of the week and kooky christian album covers so i like how you put your uh, critics on there too that was pretty good mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah. on the yeah, on your website. So, yep, pretty easy to find me. Just uh, do that Google thing, and there you go. All righty. Well, thanks, Adam. Thank you, well, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming on the show. You come back every time. And, of course, uh, our listeners can also check you out. Uh, you're on THC, it seems like, uh, what every few episodes. Oh, every now and again. I don't think uh, <laughs> I'm happy to go on with uh Reagan help him any time, but uh, he's, he has it pretty uh, wired, so. And back to the Grimerica show. That was our chat with Adam Rightly. Yeah, that was a gooder. Yeah, what'd you think? I like that. I like, uh, you can kind of go all over the place with Adam. I like talking to guys like that where you're not sort of trapped on one subject. Yeah, he's written. He knows some... a little bit about everything. He's kind of dabbled in everything and he can yeah. kind of fucking just jump all over the place. And Yeah, he's written some cool articles on UFOs and he was in that sort of field for a while. And then I learned a ton on this uh, Discordia thing. It's like, it's, I just really never knew much about that. It's interesting. I don't like the whole fakery thing, though, right? I remember listening fakery, to... Fakery, fuckery? Yeah, I remember listening to Greg on THC, and he kind of, like, he liked that whole, like, you know, the whole uh, trickster element to it. I, I don't like that. Like, calling somebody up and pretending 
that you're all like everybody calling up the same person and making this prank on him. Like, poor guy. Pranking? Pranking. Pranking's old as time itself, but That's true. Nicky Nicky Nine Door. Nicky Nicky Nine Door. You ever play that? that? Knock on somebody's door and run or something? No. You never did that when you were young? With the bag of shit? I think that's a new version of it, yeah. That's a new version? Yeah. What did, that was called It's like Nicky Nicky Nine point 1.0 or 2.0. No, no, it wasn't Nicky Nicky Nine It wasn't gay like that. I forget what it's <laughs> called now. It has a cool name. I'm going to check it out while you talk. Anyways, uh, yeah, that was. Uh, we want to thank Adam for coming on. That was a great chat. Love to do it again. Um, uh, please help out the show by donating any amount whatsoever if you subscribe i think darren's minimum is five bucks a month gets you a grimerica email address we've got a few of those and of course space will be limited on that hopefully everybody's got their email address up and running after the site switch over um, you can spam Graham. my email is finally up and running although i don't have access to it on my computer but but uh it's g-r-a-h-a-m Graham at grimerica.com yeah, and if you're having any trouble with your email addresses, uh, shoot me an email, Darren at GreatAmerica.com, and I'll sort you out. Uh, everything should be up and running. Um, and I think we're at about 15, so uh, yeah, it'd be good to hammer out five or 10 email addresses. Yeah, Let for sure. Know. Yeah. Well, and, supplies last. And we like the feedback too, and reviewing the show on iTunes really helps. iTunes or any other podcast uh, app where you can review it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's do this. If you can't uh, donate, leave a review. Yeah, or tell a friend. And I know how hard it is to get friends to listen to podcasts sometimes, especially about topics like we discuss, but just keep telling them about it, and eventually they'll crack. Bingo, bango. Boom, shakalaka. <laughs> All right, and tweet uh, tweet Darren at, uh, at Gramerica. Yeah, and like the Facebook page. That's another thing oh, we yeah. could do is like the Facebook page. No one ever really does that. Oh, we got, I think, yeah, almost 600 well, or something. Yeah, well, that's pretty good. Facebook. Fuck Facebook. <laughs> Shh. So that's about it, eh? Uh, look forward to a busy month in November. We got some, some people lined up, or I guess we're oh, still in October. Yeah, really, yeah. But... check out the newsletter, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How do you, how do you sign up to the newsletter? Uh, there's a button right on the top of the homepage, grammarica.ca. Okay. And they can leave a voicemail there too, can't they still? Is that on yeah, there? Yeah, you can still leave a voicemail. Do, do you have a message on there? Mastered? No. No? No, there's no, it's not a phone in line. So how do they, so they leave a voicemail? They just click the button and, and leave then a just, voicemail. There's nobody coming, you're not coming on going, hey, welcome to Grammarica, no. leave a voicemail? No. Okay. Okay. So upset. Just, I love this plant. <laughs> no, yeah, you can leave a voicemail though. Okay, cool. A voice message, and uh, yeah, I feel like we're forgetting something. But. Yeah, totally. Oh, we want to thank Wayne Darnell, Darnell Digital. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. We're going to have him on the show, I think, one of these weeks. Yeah, on the show great. for a few minutes to pump his stuff, because yeah. he helped us out big time, uh, helped us made the switch, saved us some money there, so that, that was a huge help. Oh, yeah, and we do still have the... Uh, the t-shirts for $25 donations. You said 20 or $25 before, so 20 would get you one too. Yeah, I didn't though. I think you did. Oh, I did. You I said you it did. now, but I said No, I think you did. You know, you said, the five, the oh, you said 20 was, or 25, whatever, no, it doesn't matter. I said matter. 25 because the five was to cover the shipping. Oh, fuck. Really? You think yeah. so? All right. I could prove it to you, but. No, you can't. No? 
Why did no, you edit that out? No, I didn't say it. <sighs> so <laughs> we also want to have Pat Owen possibly to talk about his new movie coming up. Um, about the uh, the humans being treated like cattle or being put in a slaughterhouse like cattle. What was it called Jungle again? Jungle twenty ninety nine. Jungle twenty ninety nine. Yeah. So uh, yeah, check that out. Pat's got a Kickstarter. Yeah, on we'll that. link to that so, in the show notes. Yeah, his Kickstarter. Yeah, I think it's jungle, only a thousand bucks or something. Yeah, it's not much. So Jungle twenty ninety nine. Go on there, check it out, and we'll have him on next week, hopefully. Yeah, and we will uh, see. We will have everything in the show notes. Check those out for all the links uh, we talked about, all of Adam's stuff, and all the music. Uh, and all the music. Uh, thanks for listening, guys, and we will see you next week. Yeah.